Awesome. Good morning, Cowboy Junction, and happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone who decided to come to church at 8.30 on a long weekend. That is pretty incredible here. So just want to say welcome and greetings from Pastor Ty and Heather. They are away getting some much-needed rest and vacation. They will be watching the 1030 stream, but it's always an honor to stand here and to be home. Uh, before we get into the message, if you are a note-taker, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and get your notebooks out. If you like to take notes on your phone, make sure you get off social media because then you can actually pay attention to what is being said here. I can't tell you how many times I'll say, Say, man, what'd you get out of church? They'd be like, ah, not really anything. How was the latest TikTok? Oh, I got to show you, bro. So let's just hold off for just a little bit on the social media. If you want to post anything, tag the church. You can tag me. We will make sure and reshare it. There's something I have been waiting to say in standing up here, and that is the word thank you. Steve, for what? Most of you know that I travel quite extensively to go speak at several different places, so I'm not always able to be here every Sunday. But I tell you what, it is such a joy when I walk back in the doors and it feels like home. When people are telling me, Steve, we've been praying for you. Steve, we've been following you. Steve, we've been lifting you up and covering you in prayer and everywhere that you go, I can't thank you enough for all that that means to me to know that there is a home church that backs me in the call that God has on my life. So can you give yourselves a round of applause for being such a good and friendly and wonderful church? Oftentimes, in the past two to three years, I'll hear this statement, Steve, where have you been? We never see you anymore. And uh, my life has changed quite a bit in the past two to three years. I grew up in church, uh, gave my life to Jesus when I was nine years old, in filling of the Holy Spirit two weeks later. And when I was 12 years old, I preached my very first message in a church. I was 12 years old. And uh, people say, Steve, do you get scared? Do you get nervous? Not really. I actually get very excited because it's such a privilege to be able to do this. Preached on television for the first time when I was 18, got the invitation to go do it again at 21, and all the time, I would always see speakers put pictures up of their significant other, of their family, of their wife, of their spouse, and up until this point, I never had it. I could have shown you a picture of like my favorite basketball game or put a picture of Michael Jordan up there because I love that guy, <laughs> but I want to show you something. Where, Steve, where have you been the past two to three years? Shelly, will you put this picture up there for me, my first one? This is where I have been. This is where I have been. My beautiful girlfriend, Samantha, is here. Her two girls were not able to be with us here today, but really building a relationship and building towards something. And they say, Steve, you look happy in this picture. Guess what? I am. I am. And so that was from spring break. We had just gotten off of some roller coasters, and uh, Sam's oldest, Mary, 13, made me deaf in my left ear as we were going on these roller coasters, and pretty sure she broke my left hand from squeezing so hard. So what I want us to do, I'm not going to give you my title of my message just yet. That's going to come at the very end. But if you would, let's pray really quick. And if you'd bow your head in a moment of privacy and concentration, let's go before the Lord and cover this service in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we thank you that your presence is already here. Your word says where two or three are gathered together, you are there in the midst. And when you're in the midst, that means that power is here and miracles are set up to happen. 
So, Father, for the next few moments, Lord, as I open my mouth, I am simply the vessel. You are the one who brings the revelation and brings the breakthrough. Think through my thoughts, speak through my lips, and help me say exactly what needs to be said for those in attendance. We honor you. We thank you for it. In the name that is above every name, the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. If you brought your Bibles, whether a hard copy or a digital one, I'm going to ask you to go to the book of John, chapter 21. It is the final book of the four Gospels in the final chapter. I want you to go to the book of John, chapter 21. I'm not going to tell you the verse just yet, but I want you to go to the book of John 21. And how many of you know before you build a house, you got to lay a foundation? Okay, so let me lay a foundation here. Jesus has already gone to the cross. Jesus has been murdered at this point, beaten, killed, crucified, buried, and now resurrected. So now the Bible tells us that over the course of 40 days before he went back to the Father, he appeared to his disciples at various times. So you got to remember, Jesus has now risen from the dead. This is a point where he's walking through walls and walking through doors and scaring the dog out of the disciples freaking out every time. And he's like, calm down. It's me. Here's, here's my palms. Here's my side. So now we're at a point there. Peter and six of the other disciples went back to fishing. They're out fishing and they caught nothing. So I want you to catch a vision of this. We're going to pretend that this is the shore, kind of the beach. And where you are is the sea where they're fishing. And all of a sudden, guess who shows up? Our favorite character of all time standing on the beach. And I love Jesus because he always asked rhetorical questions that he knew the answer to. He said, what are you doing out there? (laughs) Well, we're fishing. How's it going? Well, we got nothing in our nets, so pretty bad. So Jesus said, why don't you throw your net to the other side? And if you're anything like me or like we are, you've been hard at it, and you're kind of like... I mean, okay, I mean, nothing else has worked, so I might as well do what you told me to. So he throws it on the other side, and then here they are freaking out because the nets are breaking because there's so much fish in there. And then my favorite person in the entirety of the Bible is Peter. Love this guy. So there's Peter kind of doing one of these. Who is that? I can't really see who it is, but I know the voice. That's Jesus. He jumps in the water, swims out to Jesus. And in typical Jesus fashion, as they're out there fishing, Jesus already has fish and bread waiting for them on the beach, waiting breakfast for them. So the rest of them come in. They're too scared to ask, but they kind of have an idea that this is who it is. And then I want you to go to verse 15. So we're in John chapter 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Everyone say one. All right. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Everyone say two. Next verse. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. 
Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Pause right there. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny him? You think that's a coincidence? What was it an opportunity for? Restoration. Three times Peter denied him. And what did Jesus give him three opportunities to do? To acknowledge him. He was restored. Do you know the very first thing that Jesus said to Peter when he saw him fishing? It's the last thing he said to him right here. Follow me. So now let's go to the next, the meat of it here. Verse 20. So Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Pause. It's so easy to wax over this, but here's the meat of my message. So in verse 15, they're on the beach. So you have to infer here that if Peter turned around and saw him walking, then we can infer that Peter and the resurrected, murdered Lord are walking on the beach together. Having a conversation. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. And then he said, when you were young, will you go back a verse for me, Shelly, please? He said, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. If you've never done research, most theologians agree that they looked into the kind of death that Peter died. He was died by crucifixion. He was killed by being crucified like Jesus. So this is why Jesus said, you're going to stretch your arms out. But theologians believe that Peter was, was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way that my Lord was. So Jesus is telling him the kind of death he's going to die. Jesus is literally telling him his future as he's walking next to him. Now keep going to the next screen for me. So Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. This is John's gospel. John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. If you ever write a gospel, refer to yourself as the one that Jesus loved. Okay? Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? So I need you to catch a visual of this. Peter is walking with the creator of all things in physical form. He's telling him his future, and then he does this. And what about him? Are you catching this? How ridiculous this looks and ridiculous this sounds? That he's walking with Jesus and has the guts to go, and what about him? And look at just, what about him, Lord? And look what Jesus replied. You think that Jesus is just some picture with feathered hair, with VO5 in his hair and holding a lamb? No, Jesus is savage. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? As for you, you follow me. Steve, what's your point? How many times in our Christian faith are we walking along and we see someone doing that we think that they don't need to be doing and you start telling the Lord, and what about them? What are you going to do about this, God? Don't you see the sin in their life? Don't you see what they're doing? Don't you see who they're shacking up with? Don't you see who they're gossiping about? Don't you see what they're snorting or what they're looking at on Netflix? What did Jesus say? What's it to you? As for you, you follow me. This is tough. So 
I'm going to ask the production team to bring out a prop for me. I'm usually not a prop guy, but I couldn't help it this time. Will you guys bring it on back? Thank you, Dolfo. Appreciate that. Anyone tell me what this is? It's a window. How many times in our life do we end up living life looking at the mirror, looking out the window, paying attention to everyone else? You live your life looking out the window. First statement I want to put up there. Minding your business will produce a lot of peace in your life. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It's early, man. You got to stick with me. Minding your business will produce a lot of peace in your life. Have you ever lost your peace because you got consumed with what someone else was doing? How many would say, Steve, I have. If your hand ain't up, you lie about other things and we in church. (laughs) Of course you have. Of course I have. Social media. Oftentimes, people say that Facebook is the, started all the drama, Caitlin. But can I tell you the truth? The real drama started before February 2004 when Mark Zuckerberg launched the Facebook from Harvard University. It started with MySpace. Remember Tom? Tom was everyone's friend. Steve, what do you mean MySpace caused drama? You had to publicly rank your friends one through eight on your page. What happened if you rearranged those top eight? Woo! You were finna pay and you were finna understand, bro, why you put that girl ahead of me? Because I like her and she smells nice and you look like you and I like her. So I want her there. So Facebook didn't start the drama. It started with Tom and MySpace. But let me tell you something that has happened with social media. You take a look at a post, and all of a sudden you feel the need to comment and engage. And here's the worst part, and I love you, church family. You are not on a righteous crusade for God arguing with somebody in the Facebook comment section. God doesn't need you to defend him in the Facebook comment section. His word is forever settled, and it defends himself. Remember, you can see a post you don't like and keep scrolling. You see something you don't like or disagree, you want to protect your peace, watch. Keep scrolling. If it keeps showing up in your feed and you don't like it, unfollow. And if that doesn't work, unfriend. Yeah, but, but Steve, I got to know. Here's the truth. You want to know. Big difference. Big difference. And guess what? It's costing us our peace. How many of you are around negative people on a daily basis? Will you raise your hand? If it's your spouse, do not look at them. <laughs> We're around negative people all the time. But the less you respond to negative people the more peaceful your life will become. Because oftentimes we have this mentality of, no, Steve, they got to know. I need to give them a piece of my mind. Well, have we not seen in the world enough we got people giving them pieces of their mind? What they need is a piece of our heart. Off of social media. Do you know why it's immaterial to get into it on social media? Do you know the percentage of minds that have been changed with your Facebook comments? Zero. 
You know where hearts and minds are changed, Becker? In a personal relationship. In a one-on-one friendship where you can have a two-way conversation, not writing a novel and PhD dissertation in the comments section about how right you are. It is amazing how many people become experts in the law and the judicial system on Facebook comments. Barely finished middle school and you trying to quote the Constitution with your misspellings. Stop it. There are other times that we want to be an influence. You know, oftentimes I always hear people, man, Steve, I'm single in Hobbs and Lee County. It's hard to meet somebody. I want you to be bold. I want to ask a question. If you're single in the room, raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, everyone, take a look for about five seconds. I just set you up with a date. Now you can see who everybody's single up in here. Don't say I never did anything for you. But oftentimes, we'll get involved with someone, and I don't have this up here. We start dating their potential instead of paying attention to their patterns. They are a serial cheater. They cheat, they cheat, they cheat. But then you see them, and oh my God, girl, did you see him in that tank top? Oh, Lord Jesus. And then they get this thought, well, they cheated on them, not me. I'm different. Well, that's exactly what he said to the eight girls before you that he cheated on. You're so different. I just love your heart. Lies. Next statement. There are some situations you cannot fix by trying harder. For peace, you may have to change your surroundings or your environment. One of the hardest things in the world is this, leave or try harder. It's a big struggle all the time. Now, you always hear this, never quit. It's great for sports montages. It's great when you're running a race, when you're down by 15 and coach is saying, don't you quit. That's great to motivate. But friend, family, can I tell you something? It's okay to quit some things. It's okay to quit. Let me tell you something. If you've ever been addicted to a substance... First thing that came to mind is cocaine. Let's say that someone was addicted to cocaine and they did some time for it. And then as soon as they got out for doing their time, they go straight to the crack house to try to go prove a point. Friend, in your own strength, you are no match for the power of the enemy. You got to steal yourself in the love and the power of Jesus Christ because this is not motivational speaking about believing in yourself or pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It gets so tired of hearing that. People say, Steve, you just got to believe in yourself and you can do it. Believe in me, the guy who got myself in the pit. You just got to trust in your inner strength. The one that it's hard for me to get out of bed some days, I got to trust in that. If I'm only as good as my strongest day, I'm in trouble. Let me show you something. It's not up here. 46% of Americans spend an average of four and a half hours on their smartphones every day. 50% of Americans spend four and a half hours on this on average every day. Ready for this? On average, Americans check their phones 344 times per day. Once every four minutes. Be like, Steve, I can beat that. This is not a competition. Just telling you the average. Research has shown that excessive screen time can lead to feelings of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. 
It can also disrupt sleep patterns, leading to fatigue and irritability. Why? What are you doing on social media all day? You're looking through the window of your life to someone else's. And then what do you do? You compare. I'm here in my sad little cubicle, and Dan's going on his fourth vacation in eight months. I bet he does drugs. <laughs> there ain't no way that Dan can do that because I know what Dan does. He got to be doing drugs. You look at that selfie, they got 500 likes, and you're comparing yourself to something that doesn't even exist because it took 47 tries and 15 filters to make them look that way. And then you're comparing yourself wondering why you have no peace. I graduated from high school in 1999. I know you're thinking, dang, Steve, I thought you were younger. That's why I like preaching at home. <laughs> graduated in high school in 1999. The internet was barely becoming a thing when we were in school. It was dial-up. And for all of you young people that don't know what that means, my heart hurts for you because, man, we went through it. There was no high-speed internet. You could not be on the phone and the internet at the same time. You were trying to download one song from LimeWire, and it took 17 hours, and it infected your computer with all kinds of viruses. And if you were on there, you had to tell your family, get off the phone, I'm on the internet, and it disrupted your stream. We didn't have cell phones when I was growing up. I got my first cell phone when I was 21. I ask a bunch of people all the time, when did you get your first cell phone? The youngest I've heard so far is five years old. We are filled with an opportunity for so much more data than we've ever had in our entire life. And I would venture to say we're exposed to too much data and too much information. If you wanted to call someone, you actually had to call them on the telephone, the home phone, usually a rotary phone or a wireless phone. The only privacy that you had was the extension of that cord. Call me at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be standing by the phone, okay? Or when cell phones became a thing, what would they say? Call me after 9 o'clock because my minutes are free after that. You only had 300 text messages a month. But with all of this coming in, I want you to put this next statement up there for me. There is no way we can take it all in and still have room for the peace of God. We're praying for the peace of God, but he doesn't have anywhere to put it because our minds are too full. Am I right or am I right? We're consumed with everything that's on here. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever done a mindless scroll where you're just scrolling for 20 minutes and then someone asks you, what'd you see? What do you say 95% of the time? I don't even know. I can show you this cool cat video that made me laugh. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a cat video to make you laugh. But where it starts becoming troublesome is when this thing is starting to steal your peace. And then you're saying, God, I just need peace. I can't sleep. I can't focus, I can't concentrate. Well, were you on your phone an hour before you went to bed? No wonder your mind is overstimulated. Oh, did you hear? Oh my God, did you see this girl screenshot? Pookie and Ray Ray got back together for the seventh time. I can't believe her, he gonna, he gonna mess her up again. Oh my God, did you see what she was wearing? Girl, I would never wear that. Yeah, we know. Next statement. 
What hope do we have to have peace if we don't make a place for it? You want peace, you want peace, but then not. If we're asking God to give us peace in our lives, but we have no priorities, we'll never receive the peace of God. God, he gave us through Jesus, who is our peace. And listen, this right here, don't get it twisted. They're called followers, not friends for a reason. The free people you are connected with through a free app are not your friends. 90% of the people who follow you are only curious. They don't care. Remember that. Be mindful of what you're posting. Because if the amount of likes or the comments that you're getting are doing something to you, that means your priority is on a social media app and not the real relationships that you do have in your life. Let me put this up there. Next statement. We live in a time where we are more connected than ever, but starved for real relationships. We know this is true, don't we? We're more connected than ever. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, WhatsApp, FaceTiming. Did you know that the loneliness and suicide rates skyrocketed in this country for the three years of the pandemic? Skyrocketed. Why? Because people were alone. And we were not designed to do life alone. We are designed for community. The drawbacks of social media can contribute to feelings of loneliness and social isolation, despite its reputation for connecting people. So here's another thing. I've seen this with friendships. I've seen this with relationships. I've seen this with marriages. If I'm just good enough they'll change. If I'm just strong enough, they'll see the error of their ways. I remember being in youth ministry long ago, and uh, we would, it was always an old adage, standing on a chair. I'd be standing on a chair, and I'd find the littlest person there, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to pull you up to my level. And no matter how hard I tried, I could never get them up on that chair with me. But no matter how little that person was, I said, now I want you to get me on your level. With one tug, guess what happened to me? I was off the chair. Folks, let me tell you something. You are not Jesus and you are not the Holy Spirit. You cannot change anybody. Let me say that again. You are not Jesus. You are not the Holy Spirit. You cannot change anybody. That comes from him and him alone. You could be an influence. You could try to motivate but even if you got a physical trainer, you're with them for 45 minutes, but they ain't with you going through Dunkin' Donuts, getting four apple fritters and four Krispy Kremes afterwards. They ain't going to slap that out of your hand. You got to be able to have some discipline there. Next one. The idea that we have control is an illusion. We have responsibility and influence, not control. We got to relinquish that. The illusion of something for peace sake. So if you try to take on the weight of your family, if you try to take on the weight of your friends, you try to take on the weight of your coworkers, let me tell you this, put this one right up here. When we attempt to take on the weight and responsibility of control, we're taking on God weight. And then we're carrying weight we're not conditioned to carry. I gotta change them, Steve. My mom and dad will be here second service. I hope to remember to say this. My dad was a bit of a hellion, a little rapscallion kind of guy. My mom was a Christian. 
She would take me to church with her when I was young. I remember in the morning, Mondo, I'd watch WWF wrestling before church, and then it was time to go. That's when it was WWF. Now it's WWE. So we go to church. My dad grew up in a particular denomination, wasn't loving God, and I remember my mom would try so hard to change him. And then finally one day she had an epiphany and a revelation. She said, I'm just going to put it in the hands of God. Just going to trust God. I'm still going to love God, and my son and I are going to love God, and we're going to go to church, and whether he wants to or not is not going to change my relationship with God. In June of 1991, my father gave his life to Jesus, has been preaching the gospel ever since. Why? Because of my mom? No, because she finally trusted God with him instead of trying to do it herself. So think about it. How much life are you spending looking at the window at someone else's life? And it's destroying your peace. Next thing I want to do, we're going to dim the lights. And I'm going to show you a quick YouTube video. So pay attention to the screens. Training fleas requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behavior is now set for the rest of their lives. And, when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically follow their example. That's interesting, isn't it? They put fleas in a jar. If you couldn't understand the British accent, that was me, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. The flea experiment was they put the fleas in a jar, put a lid on it for three days. For three days, you could just hear, dink, 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 trying to get out. But after three days, they took the lid off, and even though they were free to get out, they stayed. Steve, what's the point? The fleas learned to live in a prison, and that's what our pain has done to many of us. Many of us are living with an unnecessary barrier towards our future because of something that happened to us in the past. Now we're conditioned to stay trapped in our offense, trapped in our bitterness, and trapped in our unforgiveness, like the fleas. Jesus said, I took the lid off with my death and resurrection. You can be free. Yeah, but you don't know how long I've been hurt. Jesus, don't you know that my husband cheated on me for years and then it became a public spectacle? Don't you know that I was fired unceremoniously from my job? Don't you know that someone I loved with every fiber of my being died and I cannot get out of this? And let me tell you something. He sees every pain. He sees every tear. He sees every hurt and wants nothing more than to heal you of your brokenness, but he can't if you're holding on to it like this. So one of the things that I wanted to bring out next was the mirror. I believe that the first thing that robs you of your peace is by staring out the window every day of your life. The second thing that robs you of your peace is this thing right here. You know, a common self-defense mechanism when we've been hurt is isolation 
and seclusion. Let me isolate myself because I'm trying to protect myself from being hurt. Listen, let me tell you something. It's one thing to be introverted. It's another thing to be isolated. Introverts can be around people, but it drains them of their energy, and then they need to go retreat for a little bit to rebuild that energy. Extroverts get energy from the crowd, but isolation is completely different. Being introverted is a personality type. Being introverted is not the same as being isolated. Let me tell you this. Next statement. Isolation is not about rejuvenation. It's about preservation. You're not rejuvenating in isolation. It's about preservation. And that preservation, my friend, it's fueled by fear. I've been hurt before. And Mary will have people say, well, Mary, you just got to have hope. But here's something that you'll probably never hear from another preacher in the church again. But what if your feeling is, but what if it hurts to hope again? Because I've hoped before and I hoped before and I got myself hurt. So the easiest way for me to live, Steve, is just being isolated. Because when I look in the mirror, what I see is someone broken. What I see is someone no good. What I see is someone not worthy. What I see is someone who tried and tried and tried and keeps getting rejected. So it's easier this way if I just tell myself it's easier to be isolated than to get involved in community. Next verse, Proverbs 18, verse 1. He who willfully separates himself from God and man seeks his own desire and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. You isolate because you're trying on your own to preserve. I'm so hurt. I'm so tired. I'm afraid. I'm untrusting of people. People just don't understand. Next statement. The only voice we're hearing when we isolate ourselves is our own. And 99% of the time, that voice is lying. This is why isolation is so dangerous. This is where thoughts of suicide start creeping in. Would anyone care if I'm even here? Would anyone miss me if I was gone? And the answer is, yes, we would care. And yes, we would miss you. Oftentimes, we put ourselves in an echo chamber. What's an echo chamber? An environment where a person only encounters information or opinions that reflect or reinforce their own. We got a lot of friends that we call accountability, but this is what accountability looks like. Man, this stinks. It sure does. We should do something. We sure should. What should we do? I don't have any idea. You ever heard this? Misery loves company. This is why people play sad music and watch sad movies after a breakup. You're already on fire and all that sadness and emo music is doing this. It's just pouring gasoline on an open flame. Well, Steve, what should I do? Watch something happy and go get around some friends and family who will encourage you before you start going further in the pit. Let me ask a show of, question, show of hands here. Who in here has ever been betrayed? Raise your hand. If the people whose hands ain't up, you are living isolated if your hand ain't up. But did you know that betrayal can only happen when it's someone close to you? If someone betrays you that you don't know, what do you kind of do? I don't even know you. I don't even care. But when does it hurt the most? From a friend, from a family from someone that you thought you could trust. 
Now, don't throw your shoe at me for the next statement. Next statement is, betrayal is something others do to us. Bitterness is something we do to ourselves. They may have betrayed you, and I guarantee you it hurt. But they didn't give you the bitterness. We did. Because we held on to it. We let it fester. I like to say this when I speak. Anyone ever heard this lie? Read this lie? Said this lie? Time heals all wounds. Can I tell you that is a lie straight from the pit of hell itself? Time does not heal all wounds. Because if you don't release that hurt and that pain, guess what time does to that hurt and pain? Makes it stronger. It festers. The only way you get peace, time is a factor in the healing process, but the only one who can bring peace is the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus. You might want to write this one down. I don't have it on the screen. Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. Offense is an event, but offended is a decision. It hurts, folks, because it mattered. It hurts because you loved them. It hurts because they died. It hurts because they left. But many times we build a wall around our heart. We engage in relationships, but only on the surface. We let people in, but not too far. We isolate and try to convince ourselves that going at it alone is better. And you know what I found? Most of the time, the people carrying the most hurt often use humor and sarcasm to deflect what's really going on. That's why comedians are some of the most broken people on the planet. They'll tell you that. We adopt a what-if mentality that is rooted in fear. What if I hope again and I'm disappointed and hurt all over again? What if I hope again and I get my heart broken? Next statement. Isolation is about suffering, not refreshing. Now I'm going to do something. I don't want you to get nervous if I go by you. Most of the time preachers won't come off the stage, but I will. So follow me. Camera's following me. We're talking about isolation. You know, thank God for streaming. We're not streaming this service right now, the 1030 will. You know, a lot of people got upset when churches started doing streaming online. They said we should have been in church. It's fine. But this is what happens oftentimes, realistically or proverbially. You get here physically, mentally, and this is what we do. No one around. Because we've been hurt so much, it's just easier to be by ourselves. Isolation may be safe. You might want to write this down. Isolation is safe, but it's also very lonely. I was a leader at a leadership conference years ago, and I heard a woman say this, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. She said, oftentimes we talk about leaders and Christians being isolated. She said, but do you know that isolation is a choice? There is a community of people waiting to take you in. And you might say, Steve, I just like it because no one bothers me up here. Okay, if that is the truth, then so be it. But is the real truth that you've been hurt by other churches? You've been hurt by other people. And you're barely coming, but you're so isolated. And then you say, I've got no friends. I've got nobody. 
Then you might say, Steve, yeah, but no one comes and says anything to me. But if you want friendship, you got to be able to sow a seed of friendship too. When's the last time that you went up to someone and said, hi, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. But oftentimes, we're waiting for everyone to come to us. Let me tell you another thing that happens in isolation is resentment. I want to tell you a true story about myself. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. I'm about to land this plane. In 2017, 2018, I've told this story before. I shared it on Abby Haggard's podcast not too long ago called The Fullness Show. If you want to hear The Fullness, you can go in and hear it. But I was battling a very, very deep battle with depression for about 18 months. And I will never forget where I was driving in this city. I was driving on Grimes. You know where Del Norte Park is, right? Where they're putting all those new shopping centers in. And I was crying hard. My eyes were swollen. I already look Asian as it is. Now, when I was swollen, it was really bad. Eyes were swollen. My throat was raw from screaming. Had snot going everywhere. I was so hurt and so broken. I'm not going to scream into the microphone. But I remember during that time were some of the best prayers that I ever prayed. Because they weren't practiced. Wasn't rehearsed. It came from that deep, guttural, real place. And I was even cussing at God. <gasps> he can take it. And I was screaming at God. And Caitlin, I remember this is the exact same thing, thing I said to God. I was driving along, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs saying, God, where are you? Where is everybody? People will come and fill arenas to hear me speak. They'll read everything I put out. They listen to my podcast. They follow me. They tell me good things. And I'm by myself screaming. And I said, and I've got nobody. And I couldn't keep it together. And I threw a few expletives in there. I'm going to be honest with you. I did. Where the is everybody? And God spoke. It didn't come through Sirius XM. Wasn't in a loud, booming voice. But the Bible says it is a still, small voice. You know why it's a still, small voice? Because you got to be quiet to hear it. This is what he said. He said, Steve, I have sent people to you, but every time they ask you how you're doing, you smile and say, fine, and walk away. Why would they keep coming back? So you see, people are around, but because of the hurt, we isolate. Friend, let me tell you something. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the hurt never happened. It means that the pain no longer controls you. Forgiveness does not mean the hurt never happened. It means the pain no longer controls you. And also, forgiveness is not just about freeing your present. It's about forging a path into the future. It's removing the invisible lid of pain, just like on the fleas, that consolidates you to a prison, to a small world. I want you to write this statement down. What I choose to let go of enables me for what I can pick up. What I choose to let go of enables for me what I can pick up. So if this is me, and I've been carrying this around, is unforgiveness and bitterness. This is me. I can still come to church and carry this around with me. I can go to work and carry this with me. 
I can spend time with my family and carry this with me. Shelly, put this statement up here for me. I have to let go of bitterness so I can pick up peace. I have to let go of anger so I can pick up joy. I can let go of vengeance so I can pick up reconciliation. And the father waits today and saying, but God, this anger makes me feel good. You don't know what they did. And God says, yeah, I do. But if you want peace, Steve, you got to give me this. And we have such a grip on it by saying, but, but who am I going to be if I don't have this? And God says, who I called you to be, a child of mine. Are you willing to set it down? To have a hand to receive it? Are you willing to set this down and receive it all instead of holding on to it? And the last thing that this mirror shows us, and this is me talking to me. I wish I could take this mirror with me on the road everywhere that I went so everyone would know that every message I ever preach is not for you, it's for us, and it's me standing in front of that mirror as much as it is standing in front of you. The final thing that robs you of your peace is the perfectionist. Statement up here. It's impossible to experience peace when you're expecting perfection. To all the fellow perfectionists in the room, this is us. Standing in that mirror, it's not good enough. It's still not right. I'm not good enough. I keep falling short. I'm going to tell you this story. I met with my counselor two weeks ago. I started seeing a counselor five years ago, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Steve, but you're a Christian. Don't you have Jesus? Yeah, I do. But he also gave us counselors and therapists and friends and pastors to get us the healing that we need in between. Stop making fun of people who go to therapy. You might need it. And I said this to my counselor the other day. He said, Steve, who are you competing with? I said, I'm not competing with anyone anymore. I said, it's the guy who lives rent-free in here. I keep trying to catch him, and I can't catch him. I'm trying to be that guy that lives in here. And he said, Steve... Why? God calls you enough, just as you are. And friend, it's not the enemy of your peace. It's not other people. It's not other places. It's not how fast life is or the way world is. The enemy of your peace is your insistence on perfection. If I don't have it just right, I can't do it. You know, I once heard someone say this, yeah, but I can't buy gifts for everyone. I can't bless everyone, but you can bless one person. If you can't do it for everyone, do it for someone. Whatever you identify as the source of your stress determines what you consider the source of your peace. Put this next statement up there for me. If the peace comes from people, people can take it away. If it comes from situations, situations can change and take it away. I'm happy when I'm in a relationship. What happens when the relationship ends then? I'm happy when I'm making this much money. What happens if you lose your job? I'm happy when I'm out on my jet skis. What if you lose them? Because if our peace is found in things, things can never fulfill it. Or you want more things. And this part is powerful as we begin to close. Now, I am missing peace because all I can see 
are the missing pieces. Friend, you're never going to have all of this. So you might as well start experiencing this and understand that you're never going to have all of this. Might as well accept the peace that comes from him because you're never going to have all the pieces. You can't make enough money. Your title can't be big enough. You can't have enough friends or followers to bring you the peace that only God can. Matthew 6, Jesus said, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I have conquered the world. Friend, let me tell you something. If you grew up in a church like I did, following Jesus does not mean that you're not going to have problems. Problems do not signify a lack of faith. Problems mean that you're alive and breathing on this earth, and Jesus promised that we were going to have problems. But he also said, take heart, because I'm already there. Remember the story of the Red Sea? Who remembers watching the Ten Commandments at Easter when we actually watched TV? Charlton Heston with his big booming voice doing this with the Red Sea. Kids, if you don't know what that is, find it on Netflix or something. It's awesome. Okay? What you know about the Red Sea is three and a half million Israelis, the Jews, walked through on dry land. The enemy was after him. Storms were raging. But check this statement out. God did not remove the Red Sea. He parted it. Sometimes he doesn't remove the problems. Sometimes he makes a way through them instead. God, take away the problem. I've dealt with it for so long. I'm not going to take care of the problem. I'm going to grow you and give you peace in the middle of this problem. Have you noticed in the storm that Jesus' disciples were in, once he calmed the storm, the other time he calmed them? He didn't do anything with the storm, but he calmed them down. Final verse, Jesus said, John 14, 27, I, live the, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. The peace of God is not the absence of problems. The peace of God is not getting people to act right or say they're sorry. The peace of God is not a certain place. And my final statement for you is this. The only thing required for you to receive the peace of God is to lose your pride and accept it in the place of your weakness. You got to stop trying to be strong for yourself, friend. I don't care how much you work out or how much counseling you get. You cannot do this by yourself. You are not strong enough. And we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask the worship team just to continue to play and not sing. And I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes as we close this service. Heavenly Father, I've given this message exactly as you gave it to me. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're in here and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died and rose again, and I believe he's coming again. That's the first person I'm speaking to today. If you say, Steve, I've been so distraught, I've never known peace, but I need to know peace. And I know the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. If that person is you, seated right where you are, no one's looking around at this moment. If that person is you and says, Steve, I want to receive Jesus Christ for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you are on the count of three. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. You can put them down. I want everyone in attendance to say this with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you now and confess my sin. I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. 
I receive salvation, that free gift of grace that makes me a child of God. I commit with help to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Second thing I want to ask for, you can keep your heads down and eyes closed. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on up to the front. If you're on the prayer team, I'm going to ask you to meet me here at the stage. We don't have anyone here from the prayer team. That's okay. We've got a few. You would say, Steve, this is me. I've been so void of peace. I've been looking through the window for so long. I am consumed with what everyone's doing, and my peace is gone. You might say, Steve, I've been the one in the mirror, the isolationist or the perfectionist of trying to do it on my own, and I've been living with these hurts. I've been dealing with this perfection that I think that I'll never measure up, and I'm not good, and I'm torn apart by a lack of peace. And I need someone to agree with me. Listen to me, friend. In this house, there is no shame if you need help. In this house, there is no shame if you want someone to pray with you. Don't you leave here without getting the agreement that you need to start living the life of peace that Jesus died for you to have. If that person is you and you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats right now and come down to the front and pray with someone here at the front. And how many of you would say, Steve, I'm not going to go down, but I need peace. How many would say, honestly, Steve, I need peace. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. I need peace. There's hands all over this place. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Steve, I need peace. I need peace. I need peace in my marriage. I need peace in my life. I need peace in my finances. I need peace with my kids. I need peace with myself. I'm going to pray over you. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus. I'll extend my hands. Church, if you're handing up, extend your hands out to those that are. Father, we just thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. The Prince of Peace. Father, we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who does all, knows all. Father, we thank you that you're moving on hearts even now and touching hearts as only you can to do what I could never do. Father, I thank you that you begin to show them the path to peace for their life, the path of peace of what they need to do. Holy Spirit, give them the strength and the courage to let go of that which has been holding them back. Help them to see that the lid has been taken off and they are free to be who you called them to be. Father, we thank you for a spirit of peace that washes over this sanctuary right now and every single person in attendance. Father, we thank you that freedom begins today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone in agreement said... Amen. Let's give Jesus a mighty clap this morning. The prayer team's going to stay up here. If you would like some agreement for something private and personal, I would encourage you to stay here. I'll be off to the side if you want to visit with me. Guys, thank you so much for allowing me to come home and share this message that's on your heart. Give it up for Pastor Mondo as he comes on up to close the service out.